Ken Kruger is the founder and CEO at Moon, a platform that makes it simple for anyone to spend their Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are accepted online. In our conversation, we talked about exactly how Moon works. We talked about Moon's partnership with Visa, how Visa and other payment processors are going to have to adapt in an era of lightning network payments. And we also talked about privacy, security, e-commerce, and the future of the lightning network. Now, as you go through this episode, if you find anything valuable, insightful, if you learn something new, the best way that you can let me know is by sending in sats, sending in comments and sending in questions, sats that reflect the value that you got out of this episode. If you didn't get much info, if you didn't like it, don't send anything in. If you thought it was incredible, if you thought you learned a lot, send in a lot of sats. That's my benchmark. That's how I measure whether or not the audience is actually enjoying the show. Um, real quick, before we get into the episode today, today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. We will have more from Voltage later in the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Ken, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, I'm really excited to chat with you about Moon and exactly what you're building. But Maybe before we get into how it works, why don't you start with your background in Bitcoin and why you decided that it was important to build Moon? Yeah, th thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so I've been following Bitcoin since uh, 2010. Um, I am an engineer, and around that point in time, I was just browsing Reddit when it was a bunch of engineers talking about tech stuff and you had the libertarian people and you know everybody's talking about ron paul and uh, this thing called bitcoin came up oh it's like it's a pretty cool idea let me read more about this so i started reading more about it i didn't end up buying any unfortunately because at that point in time you like meet somebody in an alley and give them cash i'm like i'm not doing that that's sketchy uh, maybe base decision like <laughs> worst decision of my life um but uh you know later um, started started trading a little bit 2013. I'm in, I'm in the lawsuit against Mt. Gox, so that's a lot of fun. I got a lot of mail from Japan, um, and just like it's always been this thing, kind of kind of as like a hobby that I was involved in. And um, up until 2018, I I asked a couple friends like, hey, we should build something in Bitcoin. We should do something cool. And everybody says, no, it's a scam. Oh, that's stupid. Don't waste your time. Uh, so finally, 2018. I, uh, I decided, all right, I'm just going to, it's, it's about time. I'm doing this on my own now. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really excited to start Moon because I, I always saw Bitcoin as, you know, you know, having these built-in network effects. It was going to grow and eventually just kind of like take over the world. And uh, obviously that, that doesn't happen without people building companies and services around Bitcoin. Uh, you know, 2018, it was right after the big 2017 uh, price increase when I was doing a bunch of scams and ICOs and all this crazy stuff was going on uh, that it, it just seemed like a lot of pump and dumps. Nobody was building for the long term future of Bitcoin. Uh, and I'm like, all right, hey, hey if we're all going to live on this stuff someday. You need some simple products that are user friendly, allowing you to to do that. Right. Uh, so uh, so that was kind of my inspiration for starting Moon, trying to really crack the, um, you know, uh, unit of exchange problem. So uh, 2019, we launched a product that allowed you to shop on Amazon with Bitcoin. And uh, and, that, and that was a big hit. It was one of the first lightning projects out there. 
and uh, it was a really slick browser extension that augmented the checkout experience on Amazon.com. Scan a lightning invoice, and boom, your your Amazon purchase was paid for. Really cool stuff. We it was like front page of every crypto news website in the world. We eventually hit the front page of TechCrunch. Uh, headline: Amazon accepts Bitcoin. Um, unfortunately, Amazon did not like that. They sent us a cease and desist. Had to shut down the product. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but what yeah, you using to make that payment then, because someone someone would pay a lightning invoice. Mm-hmm. And then how did that get to Amazon's bank account? So behind the scenes, what we would do is we would purchase an Amazon gift card in the exact amount. And behind the scenes, our browser plugin would plug in the gift card and press all the buttons on the checkout page. To the user, it was completely seamless. They just scanned the, scanned the QR code, and that was it. And it was the coolest wow. looking thing. Like people literally thought Amazon started accepting Bitcoin. And, uh, and, and also why Amazon didn't care for it too much. You know, they spend like a billion dollars a year optimizing their checkout experience. They don't want some, some joker like me poking around and, and messing things up for them. So, uh, yeah. but that was a pretty, pretty, you know, in retrospect, a cool experience to go through that at the time, extraordinarily stressful experience. Um, but, uh, but so, so after, after we got shut down by Amazon a few months later, we got this partnership with Visa. Uh, I spent the, the start of the pandemic. Uh, rebuilding the product from the ground up, integrating with the Visa network, and then we relaunched Moon in its current version. Um, it, actually, a, a year ago this week, um, we can go into exactly what that is. But that's kind of like my my background in in Bitcoin so far. Yeah, that's awesome, and and there's a really cool story about Amazon. Um, would love to hear more about for for listeners who aren't familiar. What is the current version of Moon today exactly? Can you can you walk through exactly how that works? And maybe like from a from a purchaser's journey, if mm-hmm. I if I'm looking to buy a product, how do I go go about doing mm-hmm. that using Moon? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, it, it's very straightforward. If you want to buy something with Bitcoin, uh, you go to our website, paywithmoon.com. You create an account. We just ask for an email address and a password. Uh, once your account is created you can create a virtual Visa card. Um, you just kind of click Create Card. You type in the exact amount. So you want $50 on a card, or maybe your purchase, you, know, you want to shop on Amazon, your purchase is $47.23, right? You can specify the exact amount that you want to load onto a card. Um, we have a few different payment methods, but, but right now uh, Lightning Network is the primary one. Select Lightning. You'll get a, a Lightning invoice. Scan it with your favorite Lightning wallet. And um, and you're going to get almost instantaneously a virtual Visa card with that exact amount of U.S. dollar specified on it. You can use that to complete your purchase anywhere Visa is accepted in the United States. Interesting. So now this seems a lot like that payment flow you were describing with Amazon, mm-hmm. just with Visa, where, where now you can access, obviously, a lot more merchants. Mm-hmm. Um, what from, from Visa and Amazon's perspective, what was it that Visa liked and mm-hmm. Amazon did not like. Like, why? Why did one sure. say, "Yeah, let's do it," and the other one's like, mm-hmm. "No." <laughs> yeah. So, so I think with Amazon, there were two things. One was, uh, you know, again, messing with their checkout experience, right? Like they, like I said, they spent a billion dollars a year optimizing that page. That is the holy grail of any e-commerce website is the checkout page. You know, they have a payments team. They have a they have a crypto team doing investigations into what they may do eventually, right? Uh, they did not like me coming along and just like. You know, like popping their bu- bubble there and kind of taking over things. Uh, we're, we're, with Visa, 
Visa has an internal initiative specifically saying, you know, they want a Visa card in every crypto wallet in the world. That is their goal. They see the writing on the wall. They want to be with crypto Bitcoin. Like they're figuring out exactly, you know, how they're going to maintain uh, their, their relevancy as we go into this future. So uh, when I came along and said, hey, here's what we're doing. Um, you know, this is this is really just kind of at the start of when they started their uh, crypto group at Visa. Um, they're like, hey, this this seems pretty cool. Um, we, were, we were one of the first people trying to do crypto payments over the Visa network. Um, most people were either, you know, they create a merchant plug-in where they, uh, you know, allow the merchant to accept crypto directly, or you get a, a couple of companies creating physical cards. Um, but with our approach, it was, it was very unique. It was very different. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, was kind of somewhat right time, right place. Um so, so yeah. it worked out pretty well. So you mentioned Visa is trying, like their initiative is to try and put a Visa card in every crypto wallet. Is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How would that work? What's the, do you, do you know much about the, the mechanics of how they plan to mm-hmm. get there as a company? Yeah, so it, it, it's a, there's a, many different ways that, that it can go, right? So right now, if you look at Coinbase, Binance, FTX, right, they all just get a Visa physical card they can send out to their customers, swipe the card, it pulls from your custodial balance, right? Mm. Uh, what, what we're doing, you know, a little bit different, we're non-custodial, we're doing lightning, instead of pulling from a custodial account, you push from a non-custodial wallet, right? So so we're trying to push the, the limits on what's possible there. Um, you know, and I think there's, there are a lot of other ways to slice and dice it. I think there's some interesting things you do with smart contracts and you know, there's a lot of different things, and I think everybody's still trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. Um, you know, from our perspective, the benefit of working with Visa is that pretty much everyone accepts Visa, right? And if you want to use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, it's just like, well, they're already integrated with every point of sale system. So, you know, we don't need to wait for every merchant in the world to accept Bitcoin directly. I think that's going to happen eventually regardless. But the traditional payments networks at least for the foreseeable future, and maybe even uh, longer term, may have a role to play here because they own that integration at, you know, you can't just think e-commerce, but think about every brick and mortar store, right? Like they're already there, they're already integrated. So right. um, so for us, it made a lot of sense. Like, hey, let's, let's use the network, let's connect the Lightning Network and the Visa Network together, and now you can just pay with Lightning everywhere. Interesting. So for, for Visa and their mm-hmm. business, is there any difference um, from accepting, like having a, a someone who owns a card tied to a bank or tied to a custodial crypto exchange or tied to Moon? Does Visa see a difference? If they all go out and make a $100 payment, does Visa get the same amount of money on every single one of those transactions? Yes. Yeah. So, so on Visa's side, they don't see too much of a difference on, uh, you know, because the way Visa makes money is from the merchants. Right. Right. Every merchant, you know, they have to pay their interchange fee, which is generally, you know, like around 3%. It depends on the type of merchant, the geography. It's actually wildly complex. Um, on the pay, the payer side, right? Um, it, it doesn't matter all that much, right? Uh, we have to, we just have to push dollars over the Visa network. So, uh, you know, they are doing some cool things with, with settlement in the USDC. Um, I think they're going to be do, doing a lot, experimenting with a lot of other cool uh, you know, settlement in, in, in digital assets that are not 
U.S. dollars. Uh, so there's some some really interesting things there that that may get co- some some cost savings. But um, but otherwise, yeah, it, to, to Visa, it, it doesn't make much of a difference other than hey, you know, we don't want to lose out to people bypassing our, our the Visa payment network and switching to pay with crypto directly. Yeah. Do you think that Visa's cost structure, that that fee mm-hmm. that they charge merchants, um, often, especially online, I see. Um, I see this fee structure in the fine print on a lot of sites as 2.9% plus 30 cents. Yep. Do you think that fee structure is um, something that Visa is worried about and, and recognize that they may have to lower over time? Or, or, or do you think that's, do you think they feel confident yeah. that because they have this network mm-hmm. of merchants and they've really got this like lock on retail payments that mm-hmm. they can sustain that, that uh, fee structure? Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of take a different approach, right? And when I think of it, I think, you know, what keeps people using cards? Often it's the rewards, right? Uh, you know, I, I have my card, I get my travel rewards, my points, whatever it is. That's paid for by the merchants indirectly, right? That that 2.9% plus 30 cents, that gets passed through to the company issuing the card. So if that fee structure goes down, you don't get rewards cards anymore, Right. So, so it's kind of what happens in that circumstance. Um, you know, while it does kind of suck for the merchants to have to, you know, cough up that 3%, uh, for the consumer, it's like, well, that's why they're going to pick one card over another card often, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I think a lot about this. I say, okay, well, you know, okay, say people switch to Bitcoin. A merchant says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to integrate with one of these payment processors, allows me to accept Bitcoin directly. I'll pay 1% or half a percent. I think is about the price that we see these days. Um, what happens to cards, right? If if the interchange fees get reduced and the rewards for cards get reduced, what does that look like? And then on the other side, you know, if Bitcoin is competing with traditional uh, payments rails, you know, if you have to pay a fee to spend your own money, right? If you're making an on-chain payment or even you know Lightning, sometimes you have, it's a, there's a small fee, but there's a fee, right? But you're used to getting 1% back or 1.5% back. It flips the economics. So from a consumer, often you are very much incentivized to spend a card because you are going to save money, right? Um, so, so that's something I'm always thinking about. Like, who's going to pay with, you know, say, the Lightning Network and Emergent? Who's going to actually use a card? Um, the cool thing about our solution is you get a little bit of both. You pay the Lightning to load a card, and then you spend the card. And uh, we have the option to to pass on rewards to the customer. Right. Now, do you think that maybe there's a world where merchants just have a lower price for items if if purchased with Lightning, mm-hmm. like where where they can just say, "Listen, it's three percent mm-hmm. off if you buy with Lightning," or sure. on a small item, it could be five percent because that fee, that fixed fee of the fixed component of Visa's fee, uh, mm-hmm. eats into your margin at smaller fee at smaller costs. Yeah, I think I think the pandemic actually did a lot to to help this movement. So what I noticed when the pandemic started was a lot of a lot of restaurants you'd go in and they'd say pay with cash, save three percent, right? right. Uh, I noticed that a lot, and I, I'm not sure if the laws around that changed. Uh, they may have. Uh, it used to be that you could not charge a different price for cash or credit. Uh, like gas stations are allowed to charge a different price, cash or credit, but other merchants were not allowed to charge a different price. So if those laws change, I think you will 100% see that. I've been personally seeing it in my day-to-day life more and more. 
Um, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, okay, you want to get your you want to get your rewards, and you're gonna have to pay a little bit extra for the product. Yeah, I think I've noticed that in Europe actually. That's some place mm-hmm. like I've I've been to a few. You go to little cafes in Europe, and they're like, oh, it's five dollars, but if you got a card, it's six. Or, or mm-hmm. you know, there's just a different fee associated. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. Do you view Visa as a competitor at all, or like like because I know you're you're you have this great relationship now where mm-hmm. they give you access, as you mentioned, to all these merchants and you can kind of build mm-hmm. this cool product. But at what point does that start to shift? Do you, do you view mm-hmm. them like as a means to get into Lightning? Do you think they serve a purpose for Moon past this first mm-hmm. use case of like getting access to all these merchants? Is there a way to entirely sidestep Visa and kind of build your own native Lightning products? What are your thoughts on like the competitive dynamic there with Visa and that sure. relationship? Yeah, I mean, I don't see us as competitive with Visa at all. We have a great relationship, and they are—I mean—they're super excited about everything that we're working on. Um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people in Bitcoin are like, "Oh man, screw Visa! We got to cut out Visa. They're they're crooks. They're taking everyone's money." Um, and um, you know, I mean, they they have built a very efficient like money printing machine, right? They're the gatekeeper and they get, you know, they're they're 3% on every card swipe. Um and and that I mean it's like what what an amazing business model, right? Uh but they're trying to adapt, they're trying to learn. They're not, you know, I think a lot of these larger companies, they learn the lesson of, you know, uh, uh Google displacing Yahoo and, you know, when you know all that disruption that happened, they're trying to disrupt themselves, you know. And I think that's what you've seen uh uh Pretty much over the past year, every major company is now like they have crypto thing. They've got a, a Bitcoin thing. I mean, they're doing NFTs and stuff, which is like completely bonkers. Twenty years ago, I don't think any company would be adapting to change so quickly. So, mm-hmm. so when I look at Visa, I see you know a company that's like looking to embrace change, um, and I they, they want to maintain relevancy. I think they bring a lot to the table because they have the relationships, they have these integrations already. Um, and they work with government, like every government in the world, right? Um, they have to manage all the different relationships, the regulations and, and things like that. So they bring a lot of value. I think you could say, okay, Visa is competing with the Bitcoin network itself. But but in the end, I think they're going to be complementary as opposed to competitive. Uh, I think there's definitely a place for Visa and MasterCard Annex to, um, you know, be a, a, a layer in the payment stack or be a provider, uh, where, you know, you know, good luck. How many years is it going to be until you get every mom and pop shop to accept Bitcoin directly? Right. Mm-hmm. And how, how long is it going to be, you know, how are they going to figure out, Oh, should, is it going to be Bitcoin? Is it going to be this crypto? Is it going to be this is a stable coin CBDCs? You know, like there's going to be so much going on there. And the fact that Visa is just already there integrated, uh, and, and, and crypto companies can go to Visa and be like, we want to push payments over the Visa network. And they're like super receptive to it. They love the idea. They want to work with you. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's to be seen kind of how everything plays out. Um, I, you know, but I do see Visa, you know, existing alongside, um, you know, all, all the new uh, uh, methods of payment like Lightning um, and, and being integrated directly with Lightning too. That's fair. Now, you mentioned stable coins, CBDCs, and... I wonder what you what you what you think the demand is for people to pay with Lightning. I know 
many of your customers are using this Lightning integration. You, you have another integration with Coinbase as well, but many of you are choosing Lightning. It, what about the stablecoin side of things? Is that mm-hmm. going to be an important driver for demand, people trying to spend money uh, at merchants, or do you think that's still to be seen? Yeah, I, I you know, for us at Boon, stablecoins is a big part of our strategy. Right? We're Bitcoin first, and after that, it's stablecoins. There's a lot of value to that uh, for a few reasons. One is, you know, if you're if you are Bitcoin native or crypto native, you know, maybe you're trading in and out of Bitcoin. You're probably going into a stablecoin, right? Like if you're if you're operating in the crypto world, why would you want to go back to to the fiat world? It costs money and friction and time to to go in and out. Um, and then what we've also seen is people around the world, you know, in, develop, in the developing world, they want stablecoins. Right. They may say, you know, well, Bitcoin's a little too volatile. I don't think it's too volatile. And a lot of people in Bitcoin don't think it's too volatile. But if you make five dollars a day um, and or, or, or less in, in a developing world, you know, putting your wealth into Bitcoin and you have to buy stuff and live on that, you know, a, a 10 to 20 percent dip in price in a day could could mean like your family doesn't eat that much that day. Right. So uh, putting your wealth into a stable coin um, is is something that a lot of people are doing. They, they see a lot of value to that. It preserves their wealth. Obviously, there's inflation. It's not preserving their wealth long term as long, you know, as well as Bitcoin is. But um, just the the brand U.S. dollar around the world, and if they see USDC, USDT, whatever it is, they see that USD, and they're like, I got to get me some of that, right? Because uh, as much as we want to complain about the U.S. dollar, people around the world they have it much much worse with their fiat currencies. So they're thinking like, I just want to get out of this fiat shit coin mm-hmm. that I'm in, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There, there's dozens, maybe a hundred that are devaluing faster than the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And so they're all looking at the U.S. dollar as like the Bitcoin of the fiat world. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, I guess in North America, we kind of look at that as like the U.S. dollar is bad and like Bitcoin's the, the store of value. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But it's interesting to see different perspectives uh, in different parts of the world. Um, do you think, where do you think most of the commerce activity on Moon is going to come from? Is it going to be North American consumers or is it going to be the developing world? Developing world by far. Um, you know, I, I would kind of segment our market into two sections. One are okay. U.S.-based crypto natives, Bitcoiners, people who, you know, they're, they're opting out of the fiat system, right? And maybe it's because... They are, you know, again, hardcore Bitcoiners and, and it's more of a philosophical thing. Or maybe, you know, they invest in Bitcoin five years ago and now it's 99% of their wealth. Um, and then you have people who are crypto natives. They are, you know, buying and selling NFTs and play to earn games. And they're just like in that world, like full time. They're full time traders, things like that. Um, but that's still somewhat niche within the United States. Uh, outside the United States, though, um, there's huge demand to get a hold of US dollars and make online payments. So one of the most important factors of our product, which, which we haven't mentioned yet, was that um, there's no KYC requirement in order to use Moon. And that's that's very powerful for people around the world because you know the reason why many folks are unbanked or underbanked is because they don't have the documentation necessary to open up a bank account and get a card. You know, so what we take for granted in the U.S. is making a payment with a Visa or a MasterCard, um, you know, buying something online, you know, for, for many people is just completely out of reach. 
they can't open a bank account. And uh, if you look at places like Africa, it's like 80% of the African population doesn't have like a birth certificate, right? Because they just, they were like born in some small village somewhere and, and the documentation's a mess and there's civil wars and all that, right? Um, and then even if you are fortunate, say for example, you're in Nigeria and you're fortunate enough to open up a bank account, uh, you can't get a Visa card with more than a $100 limit. Um, doesn't matter how wealthy you are, no more than $100. So you can't buy anything online for more than $100. And recently, the, Africa, uh, the Nigerian banks banned any uh, cross-border payments to the United States. So if you're in Africa and you want Spotify, Netflix, any you know any of these like basic things that that we take for granted. Um, you know, a product like Moon is the thing that allows them to, to access that kind of first world experience. Interesting. So now on the Moon site, you guys have mm -hmm. uh, labels. There's like three value propositions. One says private, one says secure, and one says no fees. Mm -hmm. Of those three, you kind of alluded to it in the last question, but of those three, which do you think is the most important today? And does that change over time for your customers? Yeah, so I think the privacy is the most important. That's okay. by far what everybody appreciates the most. Um, you know, the, the core Bitcoin community just loves the fact that we're private. Um, yeah. You know, that's you know, just from a, a philosophical perspective, right? What, what, I, what I want to do when building this product was to make it really uh, in line with the values of the Bitcoin community. Right. There's a lot of products out there that's like, yeah, we do Bitcoin. And it's like custodial. You need to provide 17 forms of identification, a selfie with a gesture. And it's like, well, what's the point now? You know, um, yeah. you know, I, I love, you know, I'm at, at heart, really, I'm, I'm like a freedom loving kind of guy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like to have my finances monitored and, and things like that. So so the privacy is is very important. And, and we accomplish that in two ways. One is. Uh, you know, again, not requiring KYC. The other is our integration with the Lightning Network. So, you know, if you load our cards over the Lightning Network and make a payment, it, it's really the most private way you can pay with Bitcoin in the world, um, yeah. which is which is very powerful, right? And and I think, you know, like I said, the the people in the U.S. that are you know the the you know they have those values. Then you have people overseas that are maybe in a repressive regime of some kind, where they need to make a payment. Maybe they're, you know, they're in Venezuela or something. They're not supposed to be making these payments. Uh, maybe they are a, um, you know, the, they're not the right political party in, you know, in that, in that dictatorship, right? Like it's, it's very important that uh, they have the ability to make private payments. Right. I, we were talking about this uh, website. I had seen a website. I'll put it in the show notes when I find it, but uh, I couldn't find it uh, this morning. Um, and the, the, basically the website said it was like a six step process of how to make a completely private payment on Lightning using Moon. And th th I remember some of the steps just uh, from reading it. It was like, first one was like, get a VPN. So your IP address can't be tracked. Next was like, get a fake email at like ProtonMail or something like that. Go to Moon, use that email, set up the account, send funds from Lightning. Uh, then it was like, have Amazon ship the product to a PO box and go walk and pick it up. And like, and so Amazon doesn't get your address, IP, email, any of that information. And uh, I think in that, in that site, the, the guy who had written it mentioned it was only, that process was like 
only US based right now. Um, but that could easily, you could easily see how this expands to anyone being able to make a perfectly private transaction and buying something uh, without any oversight at all. Yeah. Um, do you think that becomes then a common theme in, in payments more broadly? Do you think that over time people are going to start to request and uh, uh, demand like having privacy? Because right now we give a lot of this information up uh, mm. almost like we don't even think about it. You know, our banks, yeah. our credit cards, our phone, they all have this information on us. And we know, we basically know whenever we make a transaction, someone's watching or someone has this data somewhere, we kind of just give it up. Like, do you yeah. think that we shift away from that in the next decade? Yeah, I, I think we're seeing a movement start where people care much more about their privacy. Um, you know, especially with a lot of the recent global events that have been happening. Uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's concerning a lot of people. And I, I like to give this example. I have a, a friend of the family. She's like, you know, pushing 70, uh, non-technical at all. Like she, I, she has to call me to help her with her printer, you know, like, like it's, um, a few years ago, she's like, what's Bitcoin? What is this a scam? Like what's going on? And now she's like, she only uses Signal. She's asking me if she should get a privacy phone because she doesn't trust Apple or Google with her data. She thinks <laughs> that they're going to, you know, like if she has the wrong political opinion, she's going to get shut down. She's, oh, you know, uh, they're, they're going to shadow ban me on, on Facebook or something because they don't want me to get the word out about my beliefs. Right. And I think you're seeing more and more of this movement start. And, uh, and, and I think there's this convergent with the global events that are happening, the technologies that are being built. Um, it's surprising me even, um, you know, if you would have asked me two years ago, if just like my family friends would start using signal, I'd like, nope, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of concern for that now and, and a light has been, uh, uh, shown on kind of, you know, what, what the large tech companies have been doing, what the government has access to and all of the. Uh, all the all the financial monitoring and restrictions that that are now in front of us, um, mm -hmm. you know, not even on the on the regulatory side, but even you know, just uh, companies experiencing pressure to shut down payments of certain companies that that may not be uh, something they want to be associated with. So, um, you know, not that not that I support one thing or another, but but I think people see that and it's very concerning to them. And, yeah. uh, you know, our, our mission is, you know, and I, and I believe that payment should be private. Um, and that, you know, cause, cause it does really open up the, the gateway to a lot of different types of censorship. What is, what has been the catalyst do you think over the last few years leading to people getting so concerned? Like I, I all this stuff kind mm -hmm. of happened with like deplatforming people on social. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know payments were a big thing for certain like groups of people who were, you know, whether they're buying guns or they're doing like adult content or something like that, like there's just marginalized groups on the internet that now are shut off from payments. Um, what do you think started this whole, like, why is this now becoming a thing today and not a decade ago or two decades ago? Yeah, I think a lot of companies historically just kind of treated themselves like pipes, right? Like we're Twitter we got the pipes, you tweet some stuff, you know, we don't care what you talk about, right? As long as it's not illegal, right? We're going to do as little work as possible to, to follow the law. Like we're not trying to censor anybody or, 
um, you know, uh, same like Visa and MasterCard, right? Like, yeah, you get a card, you make a payment, no worries, right? I think all these companies started experiencing uh, uh, pressure from public opinion, from politics, and, you know, as you've seen over the last uh, probably 10 years or so, companies more and more now are forced to make political decisions. Um, you know, do you want this on your platform? What's this? What's that? It's, it's weird to see companies have to take moral positions on things. Um, it, and we've just seen that more and more. Uh, and I think consumers expect that of companies uh, of, of which they're a customer. They say, oh, I'm not going to do business with you. I'm not going to do business with you. What's behind that? May, you know, maybe there is a lot of political motivation or maybe there is, you know, there's a lot of benefit to, to pressuring companies. Say, for example, you're of, of one political affiliation or some organization that wants to see change happen, right? One of the most effective ways to make change happen is to pressure a company that has a lot of power, pressure them in the public domain and, and create a PR nightmare for them. Uh, and kind of force their hand to, to get them to do what you want to do. Um, yeah. It's it's cancel culture. It's wacky. Yeah, yeah. I, I I see I see that developing for sure. I also I wonder though whether or not that is sustainable, and whether or not companies start to push back and say, "Listen, we're not we're not getting into the politics here. We're, we don't really care about you know left or right or blue or red or whatever the." Um, you know, like we're building a business. I think Coinbase actually did this. Uh, they, they put mm-hmm. out a blog post that was went pretty viral and was kind of controversial in Silicon Valley maybe last year, uh, just saying, like, leave politics out of the workplace. We're, we're trying to yeah. build a business here. Mm-hmm. Um, because I also wonder, like, is, is this not fragmenting every business if they start to take political sides? Like, in America, you got you got half of the country voting one side and the half the other side, more or less, basically all the time. Are you not just yeah. like, as you as you start to politicize your business, are you not then just like cutting your customer base in half and yeah. like shooting yourself in the foot? Yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of, you know, given that a lot of tech companies tend to be a little bit more left leaning, you know, I think you're seeing a mirror like tech world start of right-leaning companies, right? Like you have, uh, you know, all, a parlor and Trump's new truth social platform. So on the social side, you see that happening. Or even um, when it comes to uh, GoFundMe, um, Patreon, right? Now you have Locals.com and you have the kind of more conservative-leaning versions of those companies that are not going to censor you. So... It's interesting to see that happen. I don't know how how successful that's going to be or how long it's going to last, but it but it is interesting to see this kind of like parallel system start. Yeah. Um, I I personally don't think it's I don't think it's good for the country, right? Like to because because it really just kind of separates people into bubbles more more and more. Um, but it is exciting to see. It's it's like an interesting experiment to see kind of you know how that works out, how that pans out. And, and one other interesting thing is like, it seems like now Bitcoin is has got this like critical mass of people, especially on Lightning. There's some cool new features and and use cases being built out for Bitcoin, and now it seems like we're we're able to build this third alternative, right? We have the mm-hmm. traditional left leaning social media site, then we have the mm-hmm. competitor right leaning site, and now we have this like uncensorable site that 
doesn't even care who you are or whether or not you're even a human or what country you live in, you can just use it. And, sure. uh, you know, it, I, I wonder if then Bitcoin comes in when and kind of like eats away at some of the some of the bickering going on between the left and right sure. politicized platforms uh, and kind yeah, of steals their lunch. I think so. I think so. Right. Uh, the, the, you know, Bitcoin itself is not without its political angles. Right. Um, I think if you look at, you know, who are the politicians supporting Bitcoin, they, they do tend to be more conservative. I think it's because libertarianism tends to fall within the conservative party right now. Um, so, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, who's speaking at, at the conferences who are senators and congressmen, right. Um, you know, they're, they're generally going to be Republicans. Um, and same thing, you know, the, the various influencers, right. And, you know, you're going to have people from reason.com and you're going to have more of the libertarian minded folks. Um, so, I, so there is a politici politicization there. I wish there wasn't, um, it, it is, it is concerning, you know, like there, there are a lot of the, um, I forget her name, the, uh, uh Democrat, uh, uh, I believe Congresswoman Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth right? Warren. Yeah. She just like is so against Bitcoin and crypto and like consumer protection. And it's like, what consumers have asked for your protection, right? Like, so like, but why is this now an issue that we're divided on, you know? But if, but again, if you look at the new way, you know, like Andrew Yang, you know, like he's a Democrat, but again, he's, he's more, you know, outside the mainstream style Democrat. He's he loves Bitcoin and crypto. He's going to be speaking at the Bitcoin conference also. I think he may be the only Democrat that's speaking. But um, you know, I think it's interesting to see that politicization. I really hope it becomes less political. But especially now, as we enter, you know, all the you know, more and more regulations in, in Bitcoin and crypto are coming down the pipes. I think it will become more politicized before it becomes less politicized. Interesting. Uh, even though it's harder to stop, even though like. You know, as we've kind of discussed, like you can go through this process and buy an item entirely without anyone seeing who you are or where you live or any of that. You think still it's going to be more politicized in the short term? Yeah, and I and I think it really comes down to the the Democrats wanting to you know they're they're all about consumer protections and more financial regulations, and Republicans generally are on the side of less lesser financial regulation. Now, obviously not all of them. These are generalizations. I think generally both parties want more regulations and they want yeah. more censorship and more tracking. Right. But of the, of the, uh, the avant-garde in both parties, maybe I would say, I think the, uh, the Republicans tend to be a little bit more on the side of financial freedom and less regulation. Um, so, but, but I think it'll be a hump we have to get over. Uh, just like many of the other major, major political things that happen, right? There'll be kind of a fight between the two parties. It'll settle on one side. And once we're on the other side of it, everybody just accepts it for what it is. So how do you think we get over that? Do you think that eventually, maybe a decade from now, we start to bundle a lot of these services together that allow someone to, to live their life more privately uh, and, and not have any censorship? Or like, how, how do we get to the point from every single thing is being tracked and traced and you can't like you have restrictions on what you can do and who you can send money to. And, and we know all your addresses and all that to everything is entirely like I can, I can just live my life without revealing information unless it's necessary for that particular task. Um, yeah. Yeah. So cause everything's so, yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah. So, so like for our our mission at Moon is to build like one cohesive product that allows you to live entirely on Bitcoin privately, securely, without fees. Right, like that is our mission as a company. Right. It takes a lot to build everything. Right. So right now mm-hmm. we we have our cards, and that's like our our things focusing on payments. And likewise, other companies in the ecosystem are, you know, they're focused on peer-to-peer. They're focused on this thing or that thing, a wallet or yield, right? Like there's there's all different types of companies. So right now, if you do want to live in this very private world, um, it's a hodgepodge of different products you have to use, just like you, you described shopping privately on Amazon. So you, well, you need a, a VPN, you need a Proton Mail, and you need Moon, and you need Amazon, and you, you know, uh, and there's like 17 other products, you know, you need your browser and you need your computer and, you know, so there's, it's, it's a, it's a lot of stuff put together. I think mm-hmm. as simple as we can make that process, the better, um, you know, right now I do think it's a little bit too fragmented, right? Like we want to ultimately provide an experience that's like Venmo or cash app or, or like a bank. Like our goal is to be like a Bitcoin type of bank that is, you know, don't, don't want to use the, the B word, you know, too, too much, but, uh, but, but something that replaces your banks, so you can opt out of the system and say, Hey, I don't like this. I don't agree with what's happening in the fiat system and the financial regulations and all that. Uh, I want to be on Bitcoin entirely. Yeah. So, um, and I think there's a lot, a lot of people who are going to do that. Uh, so if you could fast forward a decade for the specific, specifically for Moon's product, Mm-hmm. And you have this like vision for how that might come to be. What mm-hmm. might that look like if you are building that mm-hmm. Bitcoin bank or that Bitcoin product where you can opt out entirely? What would yeah. that look like from a customer experience? Yeah, so I, the way, honestly, I'm a big fan of Chase, which is, sounds kind of crazy, right? I love the Chase app. I think okay. you know, they were one of the first banks to have a really nice app. And they have great customer experience. I can call them on the phone. They answer right away. I, should, I feel like I shouldn't be praising a, a bank right now, but, but I'm a fan of, of their experience. And our goal is to create something similar to that, right? The average person, um, you know, should not have to jump through technical hurdles and understand much about lightning network and, you know, smart contract, you know, like they don't want to understand these things. They're just like, let me get my money and then send it and receive it and put it where it has to go. Right. And maybe I need a loan sometimes, you know, uh, that, that's kind of it, right? Like that's what you get from your banking service. So, um, you know, something that's simple that allows you to make payments, receive payments, uh, you know, make peer to peer payments, take out a loan, pay back your loan, do that in a way that does not require KYC and, and giving up your personal information, um, that allows you to do this all cross border and not within the restrictions of your country. Um, and uh, and does so without costing a fortune or be, or being manipulative and and honestly trying to be as decentralized as possible, right? Um, you know we're we're somewhat of a hybrid company because you know we'll we'll work with Visa and we're going to have some centralized components just for practical. You know it's got to work right, right? Um, it, it has to be able you know you have to be able to live on it, buy some bread, but um, you know as much as possible we want to be this global decentralized type solution. And does that require then? Uh browsers that are decentralized or phones that are decent or mm. are like masking IPs sure. or like, does it require you to build out other layers of the tech stack mm-hmm. to get to your vision? Um, like I, I know impervious mm. is working on a, a lightning sure. native browser that I think is probably the closest to, to this like privacy preserving um, idea that we're talking about here. 
is that necessary for for you to to get to that vision ten years from now? Yeah. So so for us, we're just trying to handle the financial component, right? So you know, moving Bitcoin, getting loans, making payments, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's plenty like Impervious, for example, like great company. They're doing some cool stuff. A lot of other companies building great things. You know, it's really I struggle with this sometimes. I look at the future. And I see a lot of people building companies for this like really dystopian future, right? Mm. Where it's like everything's terrible. The, the surveillance state is after you, and everything's terrible. And like you know, uh, it, it just it's so dystopian. And um, I'm I'm not sure it's going to get that dark. I, I hope it's not going to get that dark, right? Um, you know, so 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 when when we build at Moon, we're thinking, okay, let's let's build something that's like. A Venmo or Cash App, right? It's it's not like the world is over. We also don't want our success as a company to be dependent on like you know the world falling apart, right? Um, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, but if it does, we're ready for that too. You know, um, so uh, so I think in terms of like having decentralized phones and decentralized browsers and just decentralizing everything, that is really the dystopian future where that's necessary. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. it's generally not necessary to, like, decentralizing everything. Wow, that sounds great. Um, I think certain things are just better done centralized, right? Like, everybody's like, oh, blockchain, we need to put everything on the blockchain. It's like, well, why? You know, it's more expensive to store stuff on the blockchain as opposed to just a database, right? And we've seen a lot of companies fail pretty miserably because they just wanted to de- decentralize something that doesn't need to be decentralized. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I think we got to be careful. If we do get that dystopian future, then it's like, okay, we got to decentralize a lot more stuff. But uh, I really hope we don't get to that point. Yeah, likewise. That's an interesting perspective. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, specific uh, platform, like the, the currencies you're, using, you're accepting right now on Moon. Um, mm-hmm. I know you guys have a Coinbase integration and a Lightning integration. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you have any like insights on... on how people are using Moon right now, like what the mm-hmm. percentage is between the two, um, mm-hmm. why they're using Lightning over Coinbase or, or what, because these are two different, they're not only different yeah. currencies, but they're different um, avenues, right? Like Coinbase is a mm-hmm. custodial platform. Yeah. Lightning is non-custodial. Um, mm-hmm. We would love to hear more insight on, on that breakdown and like why sure. users are making decisions they are. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we we picked both of those methods uh, initially because, frankly, I didn't know which one was going to be more popular. Honestly, I thought Coinbase was going to be far more popular initially. Ends up ninety percent of our volume is over Lightning Network. Um, you know, I was just like, so many people have a Coinbase account. Yeah, they're going to want to load their cards, and make payments from Coinbase. Um, but really, our target market—they love the privacy, right? They want that self-custodial service. And you know, if you have to go through Coinbase, it's custodial. You have to KYC, right? You kind of lose some of the privacy there. Um, where with Lightning, it's—I mean—it's a really cool experience. Um, I think there's also a, an angle there where the Lightning community is small enough where where you can target it, and everybody in Lightning can find out about it. Like I can come on a podcast like this, right? And, and people who are interested in Lightning will find out about us. Whereas targeting, you know, Coinbase users, it's like, well, they're millions of people all around the world. It's not a niche market that you can target. Uh, often people who are on a Coinbase account are just buying some Bitcoin. They're doing some trading. They're not necessarily looking to spend Bitcoin or live on Bitcoin. So, yeah, 90% of our volume is, is on Lightning. Um, Interesting. And one, yeah, one of the um, 
uh, things we're adding in, in, in the next week or so is on-chain Bitcoin payments also. Um, because, you know, unlike most companies, they start with on-chain, then they go to Lightning. We have the opposite. We start with Lightning, we go to on-chain. Uh, there's still a lot of people out there who they don't understand Lightning or, you know, oh, all my money is on my Binance account. You know, can I just send it from my Binance account? And we have to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't take your money. Right. Like, no, no, I need to be able to take their money. So so with on-chain payments now, it's like you have an on-chain, like a normal Bitcoin wallet, you have a Lightning wallet. We can take your Bitcoin any way you, you want to send us your Bitcoin. So right. That's very cool. Um, and now when we're talking about Bitcoin and Lightning uh, and, and why this is becoming such a, a key part of the business, do you think some of it has to do with new commerce use cases enabled by lightning like the fact that there's very low fees down to zero um the fact that you can like scale transactions in any payment size and you can make them instantly like do you see that as part of the reason as well why people are opting for lightning yeah 100 percent. right like one of the reasons we wanted to integrate lightning back 2019 was just a really great user experience right it's like i'm going to send bitcoin and it's going to be instant it's going to cost next to nothing. That's a great experience, right? Because I was thinking, you know, what, what, how can I use Bitcoin to buy McDonald's, right? Yeah. And like, you can't do that on chain, right? Uh, you got to wait for confirmations and there's fees. And it's like I said, you don't want to spend, you don't pay fees to spend your own money, right? Like that's not going to beat the fiat system. At the very least, you have to spend next to nothing to spend your own money, right? Uh, hopefully we, we can do the opposite. We can actually reward people for spending their Bitcoin. Um, so uh, so I, I think that's that's a big part of it. And I think the more, there, there are a lot of new use cases uh, out there that are getting people into Lightning, micropayments, uh, you know, you have like ZBD doing, you know, you can earn Bitcoin when you play games, which is really neat. Uh, and then a lot of those folks will come to Moon and the, then they'll spend that Bitcoin over Lightning. Right. So I really love those products that are bringing people into Lightning. They get Bitcoin on the network, um, and then and then they end up being often our customers because like, hey, I just I just earned some Bitcoin. Let me go let me go buy something, right? And that's creating that uh, that Bitcoin economy. Yeah. Now, do you think over time because Lightning is a very mobile first experience, mm -hmm. um, and you can it's one of these experiences where you can just bring your phone and you can send payments instantly and they're there. Mm -hmm. Do you think? Yeah. Lightning is more impactful to commerce online or commerce in retail settings? It's a good question. I, I think for now it's still primarily online okay. um, because, frankly, that's where most people are, are using are using their Bitcoin, right? Um, and, and that's, I think, just from a historical perspective, um, that's where it is. It definitely enables the in-person experience more than anything ever before within Bitcoin, right? Uh, because it is so fast. I can, you know, if McDonald's put lightning on their point of sale system, boom, I scan the QR code, payment made, I get my McDonald's, right? Like you couldn't yeah. do that before. So it enables a lot of these, uh, these point of sale experiences. The problem is getting all these point of sale systems set up, right? right. And uh, that's, that's tough, right? Convincing a merchant. First of all, hard to convince a merchant to accept Bitcoin in the first place. Uh, but then to say, within Bitcoin, there's this other niche little thing called Lightning Network. And yeah. it's like, what now? You know, so it's just like, I'm going to point zero 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 one percent of my, my, my uh, revenue come through Lightning. You know, it's not even worth my time to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. But 
I think what you will see are more of the uh, crypt, you know, the broader crypto payment systems will add Lightning as an option, and that's how it's going to start picking up steam. Um, right. Yeah. I guess it could also pick up steam through top-down initiatives put forth by like El Salvador, um, mm, where definitely. where they actually are making those you know McDonald's payments in person yeah. on Lightning, uh, mm-hmm. or or if Square decides to turn on all their merchants accepting Lightning. Yes. Um, I guess that could start to, to that'll build be up big. that ecosystem. Yeah. Um, that'll be big, definitely. I think, I think Square, uh, El Salvador, I don't expect too many other countries to jump on that. I also think there's a little bit of irony having a, like a top-down government-supported like uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, there's, there's some irony there, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to push it ahead for sure. Right. Now, one, one interesting lightning use case I want to bring up I had uh, I had uh, the two guys at Coin Corner um, come on the show uh, maybe about a month or two ago, and they were talking about uh, their new Lightning card. And this is a physical card, um, but they said it could also work on your phone. You could also just have like a virtual card on your phone um, where you can pay over Lightning to any merchant. Of course, that merchant would have to accept Lightning payments. Um, but it was on an open LNURL standard. So if there were multiple companies that were supporting this, anyone, like I could pay from a Coinbase account to a Coin Corner merchant mm-hmm. over Lightning uh, just by tapping the card as I would tap a credit card or tapping my mm-hmm. phone. Um, I think they even mentioned you can tap, you, you'd be able to tap two phones together to pay mm-hmm. a friend. Like I could just walk up to you and tap your phone yeah, and yeah. there you got my payment. Um, yep. Do you see that as like an interesting angle for Moon to pursue over time? Or do you think that, like, because th- their approach I think is to entirely sidestep Visa and mm-hmm. in that process, Visa wouldn't be involved. Sure. Um, so what do you think about, like, do you think eventually Moon builds this like entirely native lightning experience in some capacity um, in enabling that peer-to-peer payment without any involvement of a third party? Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, if somebody accepts Lightning directly, right, or if you're doing a peer-to-peer payment, there's no reason to have Visa involved in that, right? Right. Um, You know, the way we look at it is say, Visa's already integrated with all these merchants. So if you're paying a merchant 99.9% of the time, it's going to be over the Visa network, right? Just because that's that's what they accept, right? Yeah. you know, so they're kind of doing the inverse. They're saying, well, if someone accepts Lightning, you can go from maybe cash to, to Lightning. I think uh, that that's definitely interesting. Um, you know, I just think, you know, it's going to be a long time before you can you could do that everywhere you want, right? Uh, I think from a consumer perspective, you just want something that works everywhere you, you want to make a payment. Um, so, you know, but, like, you know, if... if um, you know, Stripe and and, and uh, Square and all these companies start, you know, having Lightning as a default option in, in their payment systems. Then, well, then that probably gets much much more interesting. So now, if you were the CEO at Stripe, mm-hmm. what actions would you take to make sure that you get a piece of this commerce that's going to be happening online mm-hmm. um, over the over the Lightning network? So there's an interesting history with Stripe. Because Stripe used to accept Bitcoin payments, um, mm. and they didn't do it very well. They actually ended up losing lots of money, and then they stopped it. 
uh, and th- I think this, I want to say this is 2015, 2016. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, the problem was that they had to wait for confirmations and the price would fluctuate in the meanwhile before they would have the asset in order to sell, which there are ways of solving that problem. They didn't do it the, the, the smartest way, but lightning now kind of solves that problem. You get the Bitcoin, you get it right away. Um, you can, you know, hedge the, the, uh, the price fluctuations and make sure that you don't lose money, potentially even making money when, when receiving uh, Bitcoin payments over the Lightning Network. So I would think, I, w- I would think it's something that you hundred percent look in, especially now that Block is, is, is doing this or will be doing this shortly. I imagine given, you know, Jack Dorsey's, uh, investment with Lightning Network. So, you know, if you were one of their competitors, like you better get on board, you know? Right. And would you have that same, uh, would the same rules apply for Visa? Do you think that they should be taking the same approach that, that Stripe takes? All the traditional financial players should mm-hmm. step up to, to get on board to Lightning? Um, I think we're the only one working with Visa with Lightning stuff. So we are, we are the hope for Lightning and Visa right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, you know, there's not a whole lot for Visa to do. Visa is just the rails. You got to keep in mind, Visa is just the rails. So, um, you know, what, beyond what we're doing, you know, there's maybe a little bit more, you know, there's some, some other fun stuff we're working on. But, um, you know, when it comes to the point of sale system, Visa doesn't own the point of sale system. They're integrated with those point of sale systems, but those are different companies. Visa can't tell point of sale systems to start uh, adding Lightning Network. Um, so, um you know, but in terms of, you know, maybe Bitcoin goes over the Visa network eventually, right? As opposed to just U.S. dollars. Like, that's something that would be really interesting. Um, so, you know, maybe and then having some more of a bridge between Lightning and Visa, I think ends up being uh, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Right. Now, do you think do you think Lightning payments will over time? Maybe this is a this is a decade out still. But do you think they will meaningfully change the amount of commerce that happens like because money is now frictionless mm-hmm. and it can move from me to you to mm-hmm. anyone else instantly, like does that mm-hmm. change the total volume of commerce in a meaningful way? Yes. So I think volume change in two significant ways. One is microtransactions um, that that are just like not cost effective previously, and the other is the uh, number of transactions that will will happen online as opposed to offline in the developing world. Because um, like I said before, it's like, oh, yeah, you want to do some online payment or you want to pay someone digitally from your phone to somebody else's phone. You know, like people are jumping through hoops overseas to make that happen. They're using, you know, uh, uh, was in Africa. One, one of the major things that they use to transact are phone minutes. Mm. And there's even like banks that are being started around like phone minutes. You could bank with phone minutes. It's like yeah. wild. Um, <laughs> so, so I think something with Lightning Network is like, OK, wow. Now I can use Bitcoin. I can send it my phone or their phone. I can do peer to peer. I can do all that stuff. You don't have to have documentation. You don't have to have much of anything. You, you know, buy some Bitcoin at an ATM and load up your phone, and you're good to go. I think that's going to be very powerful. Interesting. Um, now I'd love to hear uh, about some of the Lightning applications that you're interested in outside mm-hmm. of Moon. Anything particular that comes to mind? Uh, I know you mentioned like micro payments. Mm-hmm. Is there any? Sure. Or, or maybe even. It could be something that hasn't even been built yet that you wish sure, someone sure. would build. Um, mm-hmm. Would love to hear your thoughts on that. It's a really good question. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Bitcoin in games and stuff that Zebby D is doing. 
Um, you know, I think that's awesome. I like the reward space where people are earning Bitcoin and, and that's bringing people into Bitcoin more and more, which is, which is very exciting. Um, you know, generally reward points are, um, inflationary. If you get deflationary rewards points, well, that's, that's a way better deal. And when people realize that, I don't think there's much going back. Um, so those are exciting. I, I do like the idea of, of building more, um, you know, decentralized applications on top of Lightning. Uh, I think, you know, it would be great to see more of that. And, and frankly, I haven't done much of my own research on a lot of those. I know that there are some of the social media platforms coming out built on Lightning. And, and I think that's really exciting. Um, but I think the most important thing for Lightning is user experience and some of the killer applications that bring people in, right? Um, you know, it's one thing to be like, okay, you, you have a podcast on Lightning and you can tip your podcaster and all that, right? You know, um, is that bringing somebody who has never used Bitcoin into Lightning? Right? Mm -hmm. That's the question I always ask. And, uh, you know, so for example, at Moon, we have people who, who learn about Bitcoin to use our product because they want to make a private payment, right? And I think that's very powerful. And I think same thing, uh, like I said, rewards, people learn about Lightning because they want to withdraw their Bitcoin or, uh, you know, they're playing a game and they're earning Bitcoin. Wow, well, now you have to get your Lightning wallet. Mm -hmm. So I think the more a product can onboard someone to Lightning and provide an educational experience, that's what excites me the most. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. Um, getting more sats in more people's hands. It's its mm -hmm. such a big constraint right now. Um, yeah. and, and it's just, it's a real challenge to tell some, to, to teach someone the way that like you and I may have learned about Bitcoin and Lightning. Mm -hmm. It's like we have a 10-step process of like, Learn what mm -hmm. Bitcoin is, learn how to buy yeah. it, learn how to store yeah. it, learn how to save it, learn how to move it to Lightning, learn how to use a Lightning wallet, learn how and learn how to spend it. But then it's like, well, why am I spending it? Because I already learned how how good it mm -hmm. is at saving my money and I shouldn't spend yeah. it. <laughs> and, you know, like it's a horrible process to have to yeah. teach someone new to go through that like 10 step process to get them to spend some sats, uh, you know, on a, on a Lightning app. Um, but if they get it, if they earn the sats to begin with, with no cost to them, um, it's just like magic. It's like you play a game, a normal game, but at the end you get actual money and then you can use that money wherever you want. And then you have the money and it's like, you've, you've just short circuited that. You don't have to go through that 10 step thing anymore. Right. You just mm -hmm. get the money and go. Um, yeah. so I a hundred percent agree. I think, I think there's gonna be a lot of innovation happening in the different ways we can onboard people to lightning by paying them. Uh, yeah. and that's just going to be mind blowing stuff. Uh, I oh, think yeah. social media will be a big one being mm -hmm. able to like earn for, you know, a, a tweet. Um, if instead of getting a hundred likes, what if you got a hundred sats, mm -hmm. um, then you pay those sats to the next guy and he, you know, you see another funny tweet and then they get some sats and it just like, mm -hmm. Really quickly, you can see how how the addressable market of people with SATs could just rapidly expand. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely, it's exciting stuff, and 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 also just the user experience, right? Like like you're saying, somebody they they just get Bitcoin. Okay, I got a, I got a non custodial wallet. I got a seed phrase. I understand. I have a public key. All right, I got that. And then I was like, okay, so now let me teach you about Lightning Network. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I remember when I first got a Lightning wallet. I was getting set up with Blue Wallet, and I was like, 
this is so complicated, you know. But then once I did it one time, it was like, oh, this is a piece of cake. And now it's second nature. I don't even think about it. But you always have to keep in mind the person who has not learned it yet is like, this is just a huge thing to overcome. So, you know, I know uh, Moon with two U's, uh, they've got a great onboarding experience, um, you know, but but I, I think that they're still, um, it scares people when they're like, here's your recur recovery, here's your backup, here's your toolkit, your emergency, you know, break this glass if, if things go wrong and you're like, hold on, what am I signing up for here, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes it's still kind of, it, it feels a little scary to people. Um, so I think on one hand it's user experience, but then there's also education and the, they're just going to meet in the middle and, uh, and that's where we're going to hit the, hit the right match point. And is there anything, do you think there's any applications that should exist that, that could enable that matching point, um, that bring together, you know, like user experience and, mm-hmm. um, enable millions or billions to be onboarded, but just don't mm-hmm. exist yet? I, I think there's probably something really interesting that could be done with login. Um, and I think we're seeing a, somewhat a revolution in login right now. A lot of products now, they don't even use email password, right? They're using the OAuth integration, or now they use magic links. So you just need email, you know, they don't give you a password. Um, and now you see login with wallets, right? Um, so, you know, I don't think it's settled exactly where it's going to be just yet. Like login with a wallet scares me a little bit, um, you know, because like, what? Do I, how do I recover my account? You know, what what if I forget which wallet I I off with? You know, um, you know, it, it's tricky. I think it's very tricky, and we're seeing a lot of change happen right now. Uh, but if we can have a system where, uh, you know, there are systems out there with a username and password that act as one key in a multi-sig wallet. And so you don't have to have a passphrase or, or anything like that. It just seems like a normal authentication flow and all the cryptographic stuff just kind of happens in the background. Uh, but it's multi-sig, you know, the, the company you're working with has uh, the other signature. So it's, it's not, it's not fully custodial. It's, it's a little, you know, 50, 50. Um, and I think that may provide a really nice, happy medium point for a lot of people to, you know, they get that security, but they also don't feel like the world is going to end if they lose a piece of paper. So. That's an interesting one. I haven't heard, I haven't heard many people discussing that. Um, I know, I know the team at Synonym is working on, mm-hmm. um, they've got like a web of trust and they've got slash mm-hmm. tags and they're, 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 they're working on decentralizing identity to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it reminds me a little bit of that, but I, I, it's I a hard be problem a- to solve. It's a very yeah. hard problem. A lot of companies trying to do that. Put a, like, oh, we're going to put identity on the blockchain, or identity is going to be here. Self sovereign identity, which I love that idea. I think that's that's very powerful. But reaching a critical mass is is the biggest problem, and, and no one's been able to crack that just yet. Is there is there anything that you see right now, maybe maybe in the Lightning space, maybe in the broader crypto space, that a lot of companies are going after, and you just don't think that is going to be the way it gets solved? Uh, like, like you think that people mm-hmm. are going after maybe the wrong approach or, or do, do you see anything where you're like, I just don't know if that's the way we're going to solve this particular problem. It's a great question. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. Also. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. There's, I mean, I, a- I would say yeah, one, I will say, 
and again, I'm, I'm speaking not from any experience and you may have some better experience with this for me is I think the podcasting stuff, mm. I think like, you know, getting into Sphinx chat, it's like a really cool product. So futuristic, so deep and lightning, but good luck getting the average Joe to sign up for that thing. You know? Yeah. Like it is complicated. Like you can't, like you have to have a lightning wallet already to even just onboard. And like, I, I was confused using it, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I think you well, need a note, or maybe not. Maybe that's changed. I'm not sure. I haven't used it in a while, but okay. you know. But that—that's the whole thing. Is like you know, if I want to listen to a podcast, I have to take like this 20-step process, and now I can like pay the person I'm listening to and tip them, which is like you know, what's the market for people who want to tip the person they're listening to? You know, why yeah. don't I want to save money instead, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I think like okay, you know, I think it's super interesting, and I think they should keep building. I'm not trying to knock it at all. But it's one of those that I that I think about and I say, where is this going? You know, and, and apparently the numbers like the growth is 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 great. I think absolute numbers are still low, but the growth is good. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, you know, how does that hit Spotify numbers? You know, that may take 30 years, you know. So. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I think on Sphinx specifically, I've also tried to set up an account there or set, get it going and and. I, I wasn't able to sync it, whatever. There was some like onboarding process I had to do and I couldn't mm-hmm. do it. And there was no other way for me to get around it. I, I kind of just, mm-hmm. the app just sat around on my phone. I wasn't even able to log in. Yeah. Um, but I, I think in, in the podcasting side, um, there's going to be a lot of like right now I use fountain fountains, probably the easiest uh, podcasting 2.0 app. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we, as we talked about, like, what happens if you flip the equation? What happens if it's not only can you pay podcasters, mm-hmm. but if the value can go the other way? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff that you know it, it enables, right? When you can, when anyone yeah. can earn for posting content for for any anything that for playing a game, when anyone can earn mm-hmm. things, um, all of a sudden there's a bigger pool of money to go around and slosh around between. Mm-hmm creators yeah. and and their fans and their listeners and their audience right yeah um and I, there's also though in podcasting specifically there's a few new use cases that i think will be uh pretty important that aren't even related to money uh mm-hmm. like for example you can you can post um you can send messages to mm-hmm. podcasters right now like i can mm-hmm. I, I receive a, a running list of all the people who send comments and questions directly to the podcast feed mm-hmm. that I can't, I can't access on mm-hmm. Spotify. There's just no way to comment on a podcast. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a few, a few social elements. I know, I know Adam Curry and the podcast index, those guys are working on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Fountain's working on stuff. The, there's all sorts of teams building out new kind of like social features and mm-hmm. that those features then interoperate. Mm-hmm. So I think if I'm thinking about the way that podcasting kind of uh competes against spotify it would be through the lens of like a bunch of smaller companies all mm-hmm. being interoperable with each other being sure. able to move money to and from any app to any other app uh mm-hmm. and being able to move comments and questions and, and stuff like that like yeah. making it more social but completely in the open and interoperable and that mm-hmm. that mass of new companies could then maybe challenge Spotify, but I agree. I don't think it, I don't think it happens as a one-to-one. Like I don't sure. think it's going to be Sphinx alone that tackles Spotify or Fountain mm-hmm. alone. 
I think it's going to yeah, be, yeah. you got to get that collective going. That's um, cool. I like that. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's early days for all this stuff. It's yeah. uh, really exciting to watch it develop, but uh, mm-hmm. who knows? Uh, I could be wrong. <laughs> um, anyways, let's, let's wrap this up and uh, maybe tell listeners a little bit more about where they can go to find you and find Moon. Yeah, so um, you can find Moon at paywithmoon.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram, every social place you can imagine. We're at paywithmoon. Uh, for me personally, I'm at uh, K-R-U-C-R-A-F-T, Crewcraft, on Twitter. Uh, so feel free to give, give us a follow uh, or email me, Ken at paywithmoon.com. Always happy to hear from folks. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed the chat and hope we can do it again soon. Welcome to the Lightning Round presented by Voltage. Voltage is the industry-leading provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. In fact, many of your favorite apps and services already use Voltage to scale their business quickly and easily without maintenance. Voltage also offers an inbound liquidity product called Flow, which helps you as a node operator get inbound liquidity easily. Overall, Voltage is creating the industry standard suite of non-custodial products, helping brands, engineers, and startups scale. To learn more about Voltage, visit voltage.cloud. Lightning round, here we go. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 36,341 sats. That came from 19 different supporters. We got 17 messages. Thank you all, huge week, um, and I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Real quick, let's run through the top five supporters of the week. First place is Y with 9,506 sats. We got Mary Oscar after that and six, with 6,860 sats. We have an anonymous user, third with 4,410 sats. Uh, Nick comes in next with 9,400 or sorry, 2,940 sats. Uh, and then we have GS. Sovereign with 1,960. We had a bunch of comments and questions come in, so I'm gonna read through them right now. Uh, First one, this is from episode 26 from uh, with Justin Rizvani at Zion. Uh, Y sends in three messages. First one says money like water, and that's a reference to the fact that lightning enables money to flow seamlessly and without friction. Um, this is something that Justin talked about at length. Uh, his Rizvani's six-point thesis. Uh, why says this episode is off with a bang. Uh, yeah, that was a great uh, kind of overview of how Zion thinks about social media. If you haven't checked that one out, uh, Zion's rethinking the way social media should be built on Lightning. So give that episode a listen afterwards. Um, and uh, Y also sends in a comment that says, likes are shit coins. Uh, And it's kind of true. Um, When I start to think about the way that social media works today, um, you see viral posts, viral tweets, uh, you know, viral Instagram photos. Um, They got 100,000 likes and it's it's just a like. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't go anywhere. As soon as you take that off of Twitter, off of Instagram, off of Reddit, whatever the platform is, the likes are useless. They don't mean anything. I kind of wonder what happens when it's not 100,000 likes, but posts are getting 100,000 sats. We're starting to see some of this happening on platforms like Stacker News. 
Um, just yesterday, actually, there was someone on Stacker News who uh, did an AMA and she earned 138,000 sats from the community. So yeah, like, likes are shit coins now. It's sats. You want to get sats for your content. Likes can kind of stay in web too. We don't need them anymore. Um, next comment comes in from Mary Oscar and he says, boosting for Oleg. That was another great episode. Thank you for the boost, uh, Mary Oscar. Um, Ethan at Noah says, love the show, Kevin. Keep up the phenomenal work and the all-star guest list. Thank you, Ethan. I really appreciate that. Uh, we've been cranking out a lot of episodes and there's a lot more coming. So uh, thank you for listening and thank you for the stats. Uh, J24 says, this is in reference to episode 23 with Adam Curry. It says, without the weird medicine rant, I would be recommending this episode to absolutely everyone. J24, you should still recommend the episode to absolutely everyone. If you don't like the medicine stuff, you can skip through that. Uh, but yeah, Adam's episode was on point. It, it's already, I, I believe it's the most popular episode now that I've done to date. If not, it's, it's one of the top two or three. Um, and the final comment comes in from an anonymous user. Uh, it says, keep up the great work, Kevin. This is quickly becoming my favorite podcast in the Bitcoin space. I don't even know what to say. I appreciate that. Really kind words. I don't think we're there quite yet. There's a lot of great podcasts in Bitcoin, uh, but I appreciate it. And thank you for sending in the sats and the comment. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys send in uh, this week, this episode. Um, I should have another episode out in a few more days, but uh, excited to see all your comments and questions, and I'll see you in a few days.